If you were with us last weekend, then you know that we began a brand new series called Real Ideal Family, and we began by looking at three sections of the New Testament that give to us kind of an overview of everything that the New Testament has to say on the subject of family. And if you weren't with us last week, kind of here's that summary. It said this, husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, do not exasperate your kids. And we said for all of us, when you look at this, right, some of this we would say is definitely common sense. There's certainly some idealism in here. Right? But for all of us, for all of us, there is a huge amount of tension because none of us come from an ideal family and none of us have created an ideal family. And so for all of us and for all of our families, we, we live in this tension between what is ideal and what's real. Because what's real is that you're going through a divorce right now. What's real is that you're in a second marriage and it's not going so great. What's real is you just got married and you're discovering that being married is actually a whole lot harder than you expected it to be. What's real is that you've got kids or you're trying to have kids or, or you've got a couple prodigal kids. What's real is that um, your husband, your wife won't come to church with you. What's real is that up until just a moment ago, you thought your family was pretty ideal, but now you're terrified because of all the things you just heard me say. Right? So for all of us, right, for all of us, we have this tension, right? We live in this tension, and because we all hate tension, every single day we are tempted to try to give in to this idea of resolving the tension that we feel by just declaring that whatever it is that we're experiencing in life, whatever we're experiencing in family is normal. But see, when I think about my kids and when you think about your kids, when you think about your grandkids, the truth is every single one of us, we all want something better for our kids and better for our grandkids than what it is that we personally experienced. Right? This whole idea of a man and a woman falling in love and, and being in love for a lifetime. The idea of till death do us part. The idea that kids actually are going to want to come home when they're adults. The idea that, that family would really truly enjoy and, and long for those opportunities that we can be together. See, the truth is for all of us, there's just enough of an echo, right? There's just enough of a hint. There's just enough of a shadow of that ideal, no matter how much real we experience in our lives, that all of us, right, all of us, we kind of long for this. And then Jesus comes along, right? And Jesus, he, he takes that picture of what is ideal and he raises it so high, it almost feels as if it's something that none of us could ever possibly attain. In fact, in every single situation, Jesus always did this. Jesus always taught and he pointed towards the ideal. But Jesus never, right? He never condemned anyone for what was real. In fact, in every single circumstance where, where, where we feel like we can't live up to that picture, Jesus always brings his grace and Jesus always brings his forgiveness. Jesus did this in every area of life, but in no other area is it as significant or as dramatic as in the area of family. Because it's into the real that Jesus always promises to bring his hope and healing and peace. Now, 
If you were with us last weekend, then you might remember that I told you last week that in the second part of this series, which is today, that we would talk about the, the most controversial teaching in the New Testament when it comes to the subject of family. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so um, how, which, which one of these do you suppose that we're actually going to talk about together today? And listen, if you said one, three, or four, then as my grandma used to say, isn't that precious? Right, so we're going to talk about this idea right here, wives submit to your husbands. And listen, um, let me tell you why this is so important, why we're going to talk about this idea today. And if you are with us today or if you are watching today and you would say that you are not a follower of Jesus um, and you are not a church person and if you would be honest with me and you would say, well, this idea right here is actually a big part of the reason why you are not, I am so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're watching today because see what this is, what this is, is a very specific application that is given to married women of which all of us who are accountable and followers of Jesus are asked to follow. It is a very specific application given to married women of a teaching that all of us who follow Jesus have been called to account for. And that is what many times people do not understand about this verse. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul says it. It's in Ephesians 5, chapter 22. Many of you are going to be familiar with this. The Apostle Paul says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, right? Not everybody else's husband. No, to your husband as you do to the Lord. Now, when I was in college, um, I went to Wayne State for three and a half years, and then I went to, to Tyndale College for two years after that. Um, but when I was at Tyndale, um, th there was always, it seemed like, a group of students who always wanted to talk about this verse and debate this verse, and they, they always had these big discussions, and they would um, you know, try to pull me into that discussion oftentimes, and this would be like in the dorm at night, that kind of a thing. And, and so um, I, I would always just kind of steer clear of it, because I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to get into the debate, um, and so, um, so I would just kind of go about my own business. Um, but one time, I remember, I was at the school, I was at college, uh, and for some reason there was more people in the dorm than usual, and I, I don't remember why. And, um, and I walk into the dorm, and there's kind of a, a, a leader of this group, and it was guys and girls both. And, and this guy sees me, and so in front of everybody he says, he says, Hey, Joe, um, what do you think about this verse? And, right, everybody is kind of watching me, right, and I'm feeling on the spot, and, um, and, and I w I'm trying to think, okay, what, what do I actually want to say to this guy right now? And I, I you know, did that whole, you know, God, please give me the right words in this moment. You've probably done that before. Right? And so I'm trying to figure this out. I'm looking at all these people, a lot of people I don't know. Um, I, I look across the room, and, um, and, and I see this, this cute little red-haired girl on the other side of the room. And, um, and I'm thinking, uh, well, you can probably guess what I was thinking, right? And... Um, and, and so, and the thing that always bugged me is this wasn't him asking an honest question, right? This was him trying to, trying to cause a debate, which always just drives me crazy, okay? It's just how I'm wired up. And so I look at him, and, and I said his name, and I said, hey, what's the first word in that verse, right? And sarcastically, he kind of responds back to me, and he says, well, it's wives, obviously, and I said, well, listen, I guess that means the Apostle Paul isn't talking to you. <laughs> because there are plenty of other verses in this section of Scripture that actually belong with the, begin with the word husband. And so I think you should just pay attention to those. <laughs> right, ladies, I got your back. 
Okay, now listen, this is why this is so important. This is why this is such an important topic and why we're talking about this together today. Because listen, when you read the Gospels, right, it becomes abundantly clear that the overarching ethic of Jesus is in fact discovered by asking the question, what does love require of me? Right, this is why when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, he responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's why Jesus, on his last night on earth, looked at his disciples, and he said to his disciples, okay, a brand new commandment I'm giving you, like right in this moment, from now on, Jesus said, you must, right, you must love one another the way that I, Jesus, have loved you. And so the Apostle Paul travels all around the Mediterranean Rim. We talked about this last week. He's planting all of these new churches, right? And these churches are filled up with the exact same kind of people that are filling up our church, right? It's families, it's young adults, it's kids, it's parents, it's married people, it's empty nesters. There's all these people in the church and all their families have the very same experiences that all of our families do. All the same struggles, all the same questions. And so the Apostle Paul asks the question, how do I take these key foundational teachings of Jesus and apply them to the context of family? And see, listen, this was brand new. Right? Nobody had ever done this before. Right? There had never been an ethic of love the way that Jesus had taught before. Right? Now, certainly people have talked about love before Jesus. That's absolutely true. But nobody ever said everything you do should be driven through this grid of what does love require of me. Nobody had ever said that you should treat other people, you should treat the people in your family, in your home, in your community, the very same way that I, Jesus, have treated you. Nobody has ever said that before. That was absolutely brand new. Because before Jesus, right, it was might that made right. Before Jesus, the golden rule was whoever has the gold makes the rule. Right before Jesus, it was Rome who decided what was right. And before Rome, it was the Greeks. And before the Greeks, it was the Egyptians. But then suddenly, Jesus shows up. And he says, listen, I'm turning all of that upside down. Because from now on, Jesus said, in my kingdom, the people with power will use their power for the sake of the powerless. In fact, Jesus would go on and he would say, listen, the distinguishing mark of a citizen of heaven is to actually use your power, use your authority for the sake of somebody else. And so the Apostle Paul, right, the Apostle Paul um, and the Apostle Peter, they take these central teachings of Jesus and they apply them to every area of life, including family. Right, and so this, right, so this verse right here is how the Apostle Paul states this truth as it applies to wives. But this is the important part. This is obviously verse 22 of chapter 5. This is the application. The verse that precedes this, which is, is verse 21, is in fact the verse that gives us this foundational teaching that the Apostle Paul says applies to all of us who are trying to figure out what it is that ideal looks like in the context of family. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, this is what verse 21 says, submit to one another 
Right? Paul says, I'm going to give you the foundation of all of it, and then I'm going to apply it for you. This is the foundation. It's called mutual submission. Everyone in the family submits to everybody in the family. And then the Apostle Paul explains it, and he says, okay, let me, let me ex- apply this for you. This is what it looks like. Wives, here's what you're supposed to do. Husbands, here's what you're supposed to do. Children, here's what you're supposed to do. And parents and fathers, here is what you are supposed to do. Right, this verse, wives, submit the, yourselves to your own husbands, is basically an application of an overarching teaching that Jesus has given to all of us who are followers of Jesus, that we are to submit ourselves to each other. And the Apostle Paul, don't miss this, he also tells us why we are to do this. Right? He tells us why. Out of reverence for Christ. Not out of reverence for the people who are in your family, because the Apostle Paul actually understands that the people who are in your family, they may not be worthy of submitting to. Right? No, we actually do this out of reverence for Christ, the Apostle Paul says. Now, this is so powerful, right? In fact, this is life-changing. This is family-changing. This should be the hallmark. This should be the distinguishing force, the distinguishing factor behind all following Jesus' families, right? This should be the ideal, There's always going to be tension with this, right? Because there's always going to be this element of what is actually real. There's always going to be tension. But in Jesus' following families especially, this should be the guiding principle and the distinguishing mark of what our families look like. Mutual submission, which means I'm going to use my power, I'm going to use my authority, I'm going to use everything that has been given to me, I'm going to actually use that for your benefit whether I'm the father, mother, sister, brother, grandfather, or grandmother. Right? I'm going to actually look for ways to get up under your burden and use whatever it is that I have for your sake and for your benefit. I'm going to look for ways to, to get up under um, your burden the same way that Jesus got up under our burden of sin. And he used all of his authority and all of his power and all of his resources for our sake. He used all of that. For our benefit, he submitted himself to us so that we would not have to die for our sin. And it was Jesus who, on the night before he was betrayed, looked at his disciples and he said this. He said, listen, I've set an example for you. I've set an example for you. So you should do as I have done for you. In other words, Jesus would say, listen, the more authority, the more power that you have, to that extent, you should actually serve the people around you. Mutual submission. It is the most powerful relationship dynamic that there is. And it was modeled to us by Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul says to us, he says, listen, okay, when it comes to families living out the gospel, You want to live out the gospel in your family? You want to do that? The Apostle Paul says, here's what it looks like. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because the message of mutual submission is always this, listen this, I'm here for you. Right? That's the message of mutual submission. I am here for you. I'm I'm not here for me. I'm actually here. I'm a part of this family for, for you. Whether I'm the father, mother, sister, brother, firstborn, secondborn, does not matter. 
I am here for you, and I'm going to use all that I am and all that I have for your benefit. Nobody in this family is any more important than anybody else in this family. And see, the thing that takes this idea, right, this concept, because it's a little bit out there, I'll give you that. But the thing that takes this concept and makes it very practical and very tangible and very real in all of our lives and in all of our families is actually just found by asking a very simple, simple question. What can I do to help? Like, what, what can I personally do to help you right now? What can I do to help? How can I use what I am and what I have and what I have access to and who God has made me? What can I do to help? See, this simple question is a game changer. In fact, if everyone in your family will ask this very simple question to everyone in your family one time a day, I promise you, I promise you, your family dynamic will change. Because do you know what this is? This is an offer to loan me to you. This is an offer of me saying, listen, all that I am, all that I have, whatever I have, you can have any of it. Whatever you need that I have, I am offering any of that to you. I am offering all of me to you. And, and, and kids, okay, let me, middle school kids, elementary school kids, high school kids, let me talk to you for just a moment. Right, you say this to your parents, you're going to have to pick them off the floor. They're going to be shocked. And that, seriously, do not wait until this whole like, series, this family series is over, our ideal family series. Don't wait till the end of that to look at your mom, look at your dad, and just ask them this question. I'm a parent. Okay, I'm a parent. They're going to know you're doing it just because I told you to do it. Just ask them. Honestly, hey, mom, hey, dad, what can I do to help? You come home from school, right, and your mom and dad sitting at the kitchen table, and you come home and you say to them, hey, mom, hey, dad, before I start doing my homework today, I, I just want to know, is there anything that I can do to help? They're not even going to have an answer for you. You're going to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. Just go to your room and do whatever, because they're going to be sitting there stunned. Like, they're not going to know how to respond. And, and parents, parents, this is a game changer for you, right? Because depending on the stage of parenting that you're in, you know this, parenting can get really negative really quick, right? Because you're constantly correcting. You're constantly instructing. You're constantly looking for that teachable moment, right? This puts a pause into that. This prevents the conversation from just constantly being negative because we're all busy, right? And we're all just trying to do whatever it is that we need to do. This question, hey, hey, what can I do? Like, what, what can I do to help you? Right? That question changes the tone. It changes the conversation. It changes the atmosphere in the relationship. Wives, girlfriends, right? fiancés, listen. You ask this question to the guy in your life, right? And most of us are going to say, no. I don't need any help. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Right? This is so hard for me. Right? This is so hard for me. This, like asking somebody else for help, this is like my kryptonite. Those of you who know me, you know I'm telling the truth right now. I have such a hard time with this. Offering to help, right? No problem. Asking for help, big problem. 
And see, Autumn is so good at this because she knows that even though 90% of the time, 95% of the time, I'm going to say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, she still asks because you know what that communicates? It says, listen, I'm aware. I'm aware. I I see the responsibility you carry. I I see the burden you carry. I I see the, the pressure that's on you. And I'm not trying to interfere with all that. I just want to know, is there anything I can do to help? Is there any of my talents? Is there any of my giftedness? Is there anything I can do to help take some of that off of you? And men, I'm telling you, you ask this question to your wives before you leave for work in the morning or before you go off into that other room to start work in the morning. Right? I'm telling you, this, this will, because most of your wives, listen, most of your wives are afraid to ask you for anything because they know the pressure you're under especially right now. They know the weight that's on you, especially right now. And the last thing they want to do is put any more weight on top of you. But men, when you ask this question of your wives, you know what it communicates to them? It it reminds them that, listen, five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, when you asked her to marry you, right, she was on the top of your priority list then, This question reminds her that 20 years, 40 years later, she is still at the top of your list. This very simple question, right, this very simple question, it is the practical application of mutual submission in the home and in the family. And listen, you know what the barrier is to this whole thing? Right, Because there's just one single barrier, and it's pretty obvious. It's this right here. It is fear. We are afraid. Right? We are afraid that if we ask the question, what can I do to help, someone's going to take advantage of us. Right? We're afraid that someone's going to pull us off of our path and put us on theirs. We're afraid that if we ask the question, hey, what can I do to help, they might actually have an answer. And then we're going to have to do something that we don't actually want to do, right? But see, again, that's why this verse, right? That's why this verse is so incredibly significant. Think about this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because there's a sense in which um, God the Father looked at our very broken and our very messed up world. And Jesus said, what can I do to help? And God said, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. Because helping means you're going to have to go down there and you're going to have to get behind every single person who's ever lived. Helping means that you're going to have to go down there and you're going to have to bear the burden of every single person who has ever lived. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. And so the Apostle Paul says, listen, out of reverence for Christ. Throw open the door to who you are and what you have, your talent, your time, anything that your Heavenly Father has given to you. Throw open the access to all of that. And yes, someone might actually take advantage of you. And yes, you may not get everything done that you wanted to get done. And yes, your task list may not be complete. And you may have to do something that you don't actually want to do, but welcome to becoming a follower. 
of Jesus. And see, the good news is that most likely, for most of us, right, doing this will not cost us our lives. It will, however, cost us some of what we often confuse for life. A little bit of our time, a little bit of our energy, and a little bit of our freedom. But the thing that this question threatens, right, the thing that this question threatens, it is, in fact, the key to having a really great family. Because you know what makes a really great family? It's a group of people who come together and say, listen, you know what, I'm actually willing, I'm willing to use all of me for an us. Right? This is a great family. This is what makes a great family. In fact, you can already anticipate how it would make you feel right? if the members of your family were to come to you once a day and say to you honestly, hey, what can I do to help? Right? You know what that would do for your heart. You know what that would do for your soul. And you have that very same opportunity to do the exact same thing for the people who are a part of your family. And listen, the only reason we don't do this, right? The only reason I don't do this, the only reason you don't do this is because I am selfish. Right? We are selfish. That's the only reason we don't do this. And don't miss what this word is saying. I am unwilling to loan myself fully. That's what this means. I am unwilling to loan myself fully to my family. Right? That's what this means. If that is our approach, if our approach to have happiness is trying to get everybody to do everything we want, then we'll be happy, I promise you, right? You never will be happy. If you think the way to happiness in your family is by getting everybody to do exactly what you want them to do, you will not ever, ever be happy. That is not happiness. Happiness, especially in a family, is mutual submission. It's being willing to loan your whole self fully to that group of people that you are closest to. Right? This question, what can I do to help? Right? What can I do to help? This question, it, it forces us. It forces us to actually lean in instead of pull away. And men, the truth is, some of your wives have been trying to get you to lean in repeatedly, and all you do is pull away. And listen, they may, maybe have never said it to you like that before, in those words before, but they are constantly trying to lean in, lean in, lean in, and then eventually they fall over, and then you wonder what's wrong. Men, for many of us, our kids are, are, are constantly trying to lean in, lean in, lean in, because everybody has to make dad happy, and everything's about making dad happy, and, and then we, we wonder how come everyone's not happy. It's because you do not get happy by controlling the people around you. The way you actually get happy is by loaning yourself. It is by loaning yourself to the people around you, just like Jesus did for you. The key to great family, the key to great marriage, the key to great relationship is mutual submission. And listen, I know what you're thinking, especially if you're a guy and if you're wired up at all like I am, right? Type A, leader. Um, if you know the Enneagram, right, I'm a number three, 
right? Because the question that this begs to be asked is, okay, listen, doesn't somebody have to be in control? Like, doesn't somebody have to be, someone have to be in charge? Isn't there someone who has to be at the top of all this? And please do not miss this. What we are talking to do, this has, has nothing to do with the issue of authority. This has everything to do with how we use our authority. Right? This has nothing to do with the decision-making process. This has everything to do with how we manage and how we approach the decision-making process. Men, if you believe that God has called you to be the head of the family, then be the head of your family the very same way that Jesus is the head of the church and gave himself up for the sake of everybody in the church. Right? The model is Jesus. And think about it, nobody would say that Jesus can't be the head of the church because he gave himself away, right? Nobody would ever say that, right? No, in fact, we say the exact opposite. The reason Jesus is the head of the church is because he gave himself away, because he gave his life away. And so, guys, if that's your struggle with this, I get it, I understand this, but listen, you do not have to worry about being an authority. You do not have to worry about being in charge. You do not have to worry about being the decision-making. You don't have to worry about being the leader and taking responsibility. You are not giving up authority. You are giving up the power that comes with your authority, just like Jesus did for you. And if you have been raised to think, or if you do think, that being the man of the house means you are the one who is in charge, and you are the one who tells everyone else to do, and you are the one who is always in control, and everybody has to answer to you. If that's you, listen, I know you're not happy because I've been you. I've been there before. And I'm telling you, you are not happy because that is not what it means to be a man who is a follower of Jesus and also a husband and a father. So stop. Because you're giving the rest of us a bad name. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus said, to the extent that you are in authority, to that extent you should serve the people who are under your authority. The better servant you should be. And imagine, I mean just imagine, if everyone in the family used all of their time and all of their talent all of their giftedness for the sake of everyone else in the family. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, you submit to your husbands. Husbands, you love your wives and give yourself up for her just as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. And dads and parents, do not exasperate your kids. What can I do to help? It is the path to the most real, ideal family ever. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, you, you, we, we hear a message like that. I, I, I preach a message like that. And Father, immediately my mind and my heart are, is filled with two things. I am so sorry 
and thank you for forgiving me. Father, I have so many times missed the picture of ideal. And Father, thank you for never giving up on me. And Father, the truth is that experience, that's not just my experience, that's all of our experiences. Because family is busy and family is emotional. And family is hard. And so Father, we ask first in this moment that you would hear us as we confess our sin to you. And then Father, we also ask that you would do, Jesus, what you have promised to do and what you alone can do. That you would rebuild. That you would regrow. That you would bring life. That you would make hope real. That we would experience your grace and we would live that grace out with the people around us and especially within our families. And so Jesus, we ask that you hear us in these next few moments as we personally and silently confess to you. good news of the gospel is that Jesus' grace and his mercy, his forgiveness, it never runs out for us. And the Holy Spirit promises to be with us in the midst of our need, to walk alongside us in the midst of hurt or disappointment. And to give us a picture for something that perhaps maybe we've never experienced on our own and yet is so deeply ingrained in our hearts. The good news of the gospel is that in all of those feelings and all of those emotions, the truth is that your sin is forgiven. The truth is that your Savior is with you. The truth is that your Savior brings his life into your life, no matter what life looks like for you. And so your sin is truly forgiven in Jesus' name.